When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Coop, you're looking good, man. That's what this I This guy never, Ari, I've known this guy for 30, what, years? That never changes how he looks. It's incredible. Well, we both had hair. This is Showtime with Coop, presented by BetOnline.ag on CLNS Media. Welcome to Showtime with Coop. Insightful BS with my Laker teammates and NBA friends. And today we have somebody, because I'm trying to cover all sides of of the NBA, we got somebody that's very dear and special to me, uh, Andrew Bernstein. And I'm going to read a little bit about because Andrew, doing my background work on you, I found out a lot about you, dude. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> just a good-looking guy. And take great trouble. <laughs> There's some substance to you, man. Andrew yeah. grew up in Brooklyn, New York, uh, was an avid sports fan. And one thing I love about you is you went to the Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, California. Yeah, my your hometown. Yeah, so exactly. I knew there was something that I loved about you. Um <laughs> Some of his uh, 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 things that he'd done, commercial projects he worked on with Pepsi, Coca-Cola, Reebok, Adidas, Icy Hot. Were you with Shaq when he was doing that? Oh, oh yeah. Like yeah. that? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I love that. And uh, his first, and we're going to let you get into yourself a little bit, Andrew, so I'm just laying mm-hmm. the groundwork for you. Mm-hmm. His first NBA job was shooting the 1983 All-Star game. Now, was that the one Marvin Gaye sang the National Anthem? Exactly. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Andrew Bernstein. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Everybody, the great Andrew Bernstein. You probably have seen his work plastered over everything that has to do with the NBA. Welcome, Andrew. But before we get started, how are you and the family doing? Hey, you know what, Cooper? We're actually hanging in, man. It, uh, you know, this pandemic has been, been tough on everybody. Um, I have a 12-year-old at home and her sixth grade got interrupted and I haven't taken a picture since March 11th, <laughs> so I don't wow. know if I can actually remember how to do it. But my wife's been able to work from home, and uh, my other kids are good. So thank God I'm knocking on wood, you know, you know that everybody's healthy. And, um, you know, we're just going to have to get through this and ride out the storm. You mean you're not, you like, chasing your kids around the house, taking pictures <laughs> of them with your, with your camera and your lights and everything? <laughs> no, it's funny because my, my daughter, my 12-year-old, is uh, – has actually taken up photography and she's taken a class the next two weeks and she's learning it and uh, has really taken to it. It must be something in the DNA. I don't know, but <laughs> yeah. And you know what? The one thing I've said about this, this COVID situation we're going through is very mm-hmm. important. It 
happened, but I always try to find a silver lining in things. Yeah. And I think through our busy day and schedule and work before this hit, we were worried about, uh, you know, I'm doing my job as far as coaching. My wife was working at Fairplex. My son was going to school. So it's very rare that we had an opportunity to see each other, even if it was for dinner. And I think what this uh, COVID thing has done is it brought more sense of family back to us. You know, you get to see your kids, you get to spend time with them, you get to talk to them, you get to have dinner with them. In some cases, you wake up in the morning and have breakfast, you get to go to church, your religious beliefs, whatever it is, it gets to be done as a family. And I think that's the most important thing that I've tried to grasp out of this whole craziness. Yeah, it's crazy, Coop. I mean, I am never home this time of year. I mean, 38 years in a row, I've been you know, from the middle of April to the middle of June, I've been on the road or God willing, if the Lakers were in, you know, a long run in the playoffs, it's been a drought for a while, but, um, you know, home for a little bit, but, you know, my mind and my whole um, attention is on my NBA work. You know, the playoffs are long haul, as you remember, two, two solid months of playoffs. And uh, so my wife looked over at me like sometime, you know, the end of April, early May, she said, uh, are you still home? <laughs> I'm just supposed to be like in Who's Oakland, this guy next is he? Utah, or Houston, or someplace, you know? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Andrew, one more horn to right. for you is Andrew has has been the team photographer for ten professional teams, which which has won championship basketball. The Lakers in '85, '87, '88, 2000, 2001, 2002, 2009. <laughs> 2010 with the Dodgers in 1988 with the mm -hmm. Kings in 2012, 2014. How many, where do you put all your championship rings? <laughs> I got to, <clears throat> sorry. I had to do my Bill Russell impression. No, I'm kidding. I, uh, <laughs> I only got a few rings, Coop. I didn't get any rings back when you were playing. And, uh, and you didn't get a ring? Did not get a we ring. Got a you know, gripe, we got a gripe for a genie bus then. You got to get your rings, man. You know what? I, I respect it. And the fact that, you you know, you need to be an employee and, and on the payroll and all that stuff. I, I get it. Um, and But the one that sticks in my craw, I got to be honest with you, is I didn't get a Dodger ring in 88. And that, that bothered me, man, because, you know, we – me and John Sue, who my friend, who, who you know, we worked our tails off that season. And uh, anyway, would have, that would have been nice. But I, I got rings from um, from the first Shaq and Kobe three-peat, you know. And then uh, I think I got a ring from 2009 or 10. So, you know. And you grew up in Brooklyn. Good. And your yeah. family was Dodgers fans, right? So, I mean. Right, right. The, the whole 88 thing probably it was probably bigger too because i'm sure your family was like where's your ring and you're like i didn't get one yeah <laughs> i know you know it was kind of a crazy like a phil jackson full circle thing because they were diehard brooklyn dodger fans i mean insane i i wasn't even allowed as a kid and i collected baseball cards like we all probably did right i wasn't allowed to bring a yankee baseball card in my house <laughs> no this is a true story i gotta tell you this story i never told this story in public so my dad, great, you know, huge sports fan, um, probably eight or nine years old. It's about 1964, 65. I'm collecting cards like crazy. I had traded half of my collection for a Mickey Mantle card, right? And, and I go home and I'm all excited. I go in the house, you know, I said, dad, you're going to believe I got this incredible card. He goes, yeah, really? Who's on it? I said, I said, Mickey Mantle, I traded half my collection. He goes, really? Come break that over here. Let me see that. And he looks at it and he and he goes, Whoosh. oh! <laughs> he goes, don't ever bring 
anything with that ex- expletive logo in my house ever again. <laughs> True story. True story. <laughs> so, uh, uh, growing up a sports fan, so obviously that's the next move for you. I mean, what what brought you to uh, to photography? You know, Coop, I, I started doing it in high school. I had a good friend who had a dark room in his basement, and the first time I saw a picture of print develop in the solution. It just blew my mind. It was really a magic trick, honestly, and uh, I was hooked. And my high school into a big high school in Brooklyn. I did a lot of photography there. Always had a camera with me. That was kind of the thing that whenever they, anyone saw me, I had a camera attached to me, you know. So I was shooting for, the, we had a newspaper, you know, we had a yearbook, all that stuff, um, the theater department, whatever, athletic department. Then I went to University of Massachusetts. I went to UMass, um, where Dr. J played, by the way. Mm-hmm. And it, we were a Division One AA. We were not very good, but it was a great place to kind of test the waters of being a photojournalist because we had a daily newspaper there and it was a very prestigious college paper actually. And I learned everything about covering assignments. I ended up being the assistant photo editor, giving out assignments and working on deadline and, um, and all different aspects, you know, news, feature, sports, whatever. And, but I wasn't learning like the craft of photography and the real science. I ended up going to Pas- to Pasadena, packed my bags in the middle of the 78 blizzard uh, back in the East Coast, ended up in LA, it was 84 degrees. I said, I'll never go back. And uh, I was, I started Art Center in um, the spring of 78. And from there, I was uh, introduced to some great Sports Illustrated photographers, guys who shot you, you and the guys back in the Showtime era. And I learned this technique of, of putting these big strobe units in the ceiling, into the catwalk, at, especially at the Forum. And, uh, yeah, some Brooklyn Moxie, uh, you know, it's a little bit of uh, um, I knew how to work the system. And I got my foot in the door with the Forum people, all the same people that you remember, Coop. And, uh, you know, Jeannie took me under her wing and I was shooting all the other sports for her, the, the indoor soccer. And uh, we had roller hockey and, and tennis and volleyball and stuff. But um, the strobe technique really got me in the door and got the attention of the NBA. And my first gig was the 83 All-Star Game at the Forum. That was my first gig for the NBA. And I've done 38 All-Star Games since. 38 finals. Um, I helped to create NBA photos in 1986. And uh, a couple of years ago, they decided somehow to stick me in the Hall of Fame. I don't know why, but, you know, it's must have been a slow, a slow year. But, <laughs> but it's, been, <laughs> oh, yeah, right. it's been a great run, you know. And it all started way back in, in high school when I, I just saw the magic of what I, what I could create in my head be really um, come out through my camera and then come out as a print or a photograph, which really just blew my mind. So Andy, just talking about that little strobe thing you said, my color printer broke, so I'm going to show you a picture <laughs> in black or white, but are you talking about something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Above, there you go. To get that high above the air shot, right? Yeah. This is, this is one of my favorite hockey shots, Coop. Um, that was uh, the 2012 cup final, the Kings against uh, New Jersey. We were actually in New Jersey and I do these crazy angles, as you know, all over the place. And for hockey, that straight down, you know, into the crease area is always super cool. Um, and that's fired by a remote button that I have. And it's a pretty involved, intricate system. But when you get a shot like that, you know, Jonathan Quick, Spread Eagle, and the whole, you know, 
action going on. That's the kind of, that's the money shot. I, I love that picture. And you know what? That's what I was going to ask. How how do you get that money shot? I mean, is that <laughs> you have to position yourself, or are you just pushing it and letting the camera shoot, 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 and and then you go through it and look at that one? Well, no, because um, because of this strobe system that I use, I'm limited to only be able to take one picture every four wow. seconds. I can't have a motor drive. I can't look at a sequence of pictures and just pick one out of the middle. You know, you're going up for a Koopa loop. You know, I got to time that to be at the apex of when you're going to, you know, catch it or dunk it, right? Um, magic coming down, you know, doing 15 moves before, you know, I even know what's going to happen. He's going to pass over here. He's going to look there and pass there. Who knows? Or go straight to the rim. So you have to learn, you know, the tendencies players. of all the players that you that you shoot all the time. That takes some time, obviously. And... uh and you have to time it and you have to be lucky sometimes you have to get the moment you know and and really anticipate it be maybe a millisecond ahead in your mind so going from way above to way <laughs> underneath this oh, shot oh no what's about Dude. that shot this is the craziest shoot i ever did coop so i was working for uh, reebok doing that all this is a lot by the way that yeah. says a lot by the no, way this the is the craziest a crazy, shot that you ever no, wait till you hear this story so I'm working for Reebok, shooting all of Shaq's endorsement stuff. It was great. I was going to Orlando in his early years, and then it continued into L.A. And uh, my job is is to sort of piggyback on a big commercial production. You know, it's a big video production, and there's the still part of it. What I do, which is important, because they have to they have to t- get a a national print campaign out of what I produce. And, uh, and sometimes that comes from doing production stills, like shooting as they're shooting the commercial, but I always have like a, a backdrop set off on the side and try to grab the athlete and Shaq, you know, it was not easy to get because when Shaq had, you know, downtime between a, a, a shot being set up or at lunch, you know, he, he wanted to chill. He didn't want to have to do something else. So I'd have to, you know, grab him or the associate producer or somebody and I'd get, five minutes with him, you know? So the idea behind this was they wanted this shot from underneath showing the the shoes, the giganticness of the shoes, and then Shaq as well. And of course the Reebok logo. So we built this very elaborate stage that was about four feet off the ground. And the top of the stage was a four inch thick piece of plexiglass, right? So I am positioned under it. I'm laying down under (laughs) super wide angle lens. It's all lit from, from all over the place. The, and Shaq weigh about 360, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the, the sky thing was put in later because, you know, the whole background was just a white background. And anyway, so he walks up and he looks at the thing. And you know Shaq. I mean, he's going to look for something, right? And I'm laying under there. And he gets up on the stage and I position him. I get him how I want. And I had an assistant helping me. And he goes, you ready? I said, yeah, I'm ready, man. He goes, okay, get this. And he starts jumping, jumping <laughs> 360 pounds, man. And I, I, my life was like flashing in front of me. That, <laughs> I'm going to get like, I, I must have turned like white as a sheet or something. And he's laughing. And, you know, and, and keep in mind, I got like five minutes to do this. This is like important. <laughs> I just flipped out. And I, I started screaming at him. And then afterwards, 
I, I took him and I got the picture and the whole thing. And I said, dude, I said, why are you scared the shit out of me like that, man? He goes, because I know I can. <laughs> Plus, Andy, you know what? That shot, what made it even more amazing is Shaq wears a size 24. Oh, my God. He yeah. had to be able to fit, uh, fit his face into that shot. Yeah, and it's and it's crazy because when you do a shoot like that, you have to have a stand-in. You have to have a model who is like the same, basically the same size, same skin tone, you know. But you, you can't find anybody with size 23, 24 shoes. You know, that's impossible. So I had the stand-in who was probably, he was probably about 6'10". Maybe he was, maybe he was like 285, 300. You know, we did the best we could, but he put those actual shoes on so I would be able to frame the picture and, and know that when Shaq got in there, at least the shoes would be right. But then there's a whole issue of having everything in focus, you uh -huh. know, and the lighting being right. And it was, it was quite the uh, um, experience. <laughs> and you know, you shot in so many people. Is there anybody that you have not photographed that you wish you could? Yeah, there's a lot of people, man. I, I never got to shoot Tiger Woods. Um, I never got to shoot Michael Phelps. Uh, I never got to shoot Derek Jeter when he played. Cause I, what I makes was, him interesting to you from out of that camera lens? Well, these are the icons of, of each of those sports. Mm -hmm. So as a photographer and a young photographer, I, I always wanted to get like the greats. You know, I would travel just to get pictures of like Reggie Jackson, you know, or um, John Elway, I would go to Denver just so I knew I had John Elway pictures. And and I was selling pictures back then as sort of a mini stock agency. But, um, but you know, these guys um, have that sort of Mamba mentality like Kobe had, you know, they, they have that sort of um, next level of greatness. And as a photographer, as a journalist, you, you just want to kind of be in that world and be able to record it and, and have that, you know, as part of your archive. Another great shot that I love. Talk about this one here, Andy. Yeah, oh, this is a fun assignment, man. This was um, Yao Ming uh, in his rookie year. I got assigned by ESPN magazine to follow him for two weeks just to be a, a fly on the wall. Um, they assigned a writer who you might know, Rick Buecher was the writer. And for two weeks, we just basically lived with Yao, you know, <laughs> whatever we did. With, and it was early in the, in the season. It was like December or something. And he was great, super gracious, um, one of the nicest guys I've ever met. And this was a similar situation to Shaq. He was filming a uh, cell phone commercial for a Chinese cell phone company. And we're, of course, tagging along. And I'm just shooting behind the scenes and whatever. And I, it was in a gym that had a balcony that went around it, like a, like a track kind of thing, balcony, like the old um, New York Athletic Club, which uh -huh. you probably went to. So I went up there to just so get some like straight down sort of looking above shots. And I saw this rim and then I, I see, I see Yao and I'm thinking, Hmm, if I position him just right, I could get him in the, in the rim. And they already had the lighting set up from the commercial. So I kind of yelled out to him and he was, it was in between shots and I kind of yelled out, Hey, hey Yao, hey, turn around. <laughs> And he's like, what? I said, turn around. And he saw what I was trying to do. And so I brought him in, positioned him, and got that shot. And he loves that shot, by the way. He told me that. Hey, Andy, um, do you have, whenever you're working with anybody, oh, perfect, there it is there. Do you have that shot in your mind's eye uh, that you want to get that shot down? I mean, are you seeing that, that what you want to see before the actual shot? 
Yeah, most of the time. In a situation like this, yes. I mean, I definitely saw this. I didn't see how dramatic it would actually be. There, this has not been retouched in any way, shape, or form. That lighting on his face was perfect. Wow. Um, the way the rim kind of falls off and focus and, and the lighting and, you know, with the threads going through. Um, you know, photographically, this thing just lays out so well. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm super proud of that. But, yes, in, in most cases, Coop, I have to be because – God bless you guys. I love you guys, but you guys have like no patience, right? So, <laughs> and you want to hear about me, Andy? You're no. talking about the really, really good player. <laughs> well, I remember a couple of Sparks photo shoots where you're like, "Oh man, let's go. We got stuff to do." <laughs> and you're working with women, so that kind of rubbed off on me. You know, women want yeah. to get through with. Yeah, that's probably true. Although Lisa always needed to have her makeup right. And oh, her, my God. Her, yes. Remember that? Yeah, I love her for that. I, I do. But um, I learned very quickly, guys, that uh, when I had Magic, the very first thing I did with Magic off the court, uh, he was doing a, a Converse ad. Same same thing. He's doing a commercial. They bring me in to be the still guy. And then I have to produce a poster of him, you know, which they knew what they wanted. And I had the whole thing set up. The art director was there and magic comes in, in between, they were like resetting cameras and stuff. And he, you know, magic's always super friendly. And back in the day, in order to see what our lighting was like and the positioning and what the end result would be, we would take a Polaroid as you remember, right? Cool. And I go to take the Polaroid and magic goes, what are you doing? And I, I said, I'm taking a Polaroid. He goes, no, no, no. When I come in your set, you don't do Polaroids. You be ready. Oh, I swear to God. And I looked at him and he goes, yeah, you be ready. And I'm like, okay. Andy, was he serious? I swear to God, never took a Polaroid of him again, ever. <laughs> was he serious? He, he was serious. That? Yeah. He thought that that was wasted. It takes 60 seconds for the Polaroid to develop. Wow. And he will concur with, he and I talked about this on my podcast, right? And he laughed. He goes, yeah, he's, either you're ready or you're not ready. And if you're not ready, don't waste my time. <laughs> Andy, were you with them or in that scene with him and Bird? They got together and you know how they oh, made that commercial and then yeah. there were some pictures. Were you available no, for those, for those I wish, shots? No, I wish. That is like one of the few, when you asked me earlier, you know, who I hadn't shot, you know, athlete-wise, that's one of the shoots I wish I had been on. I I knew about that shoot. Um, you know, it was done in French Lick, so they sent somebody from the East Coast. But uh, if I, I really should have pushed to be on that because that was, you know, such a historic, legendary shoot. Would have loved to have been part of that. And you obviously covered the Dream Team, too. Um, yeah. Did you know, I mean, first off, was that, you know, for you, your greatest memory? And, and did you know at the time just how incredible that that, how influential that moment would be in terms of basketball. Yeah, I think we all felt it because when that team was announced um, and you saw the personalities on that team and the, and the quality of talent, <clears throat> I mean, it's truly, I mean, I don't know if there's a word beyond dream team, but it was like the pinnacle is like a hall of fame dream team, all future hall of famers. So I knew it was going to be a great assignment. I didn't know it would be that great of an assignment. Honestly, it was seven weeks with these guys from day one in training camp in uh, San Diego um, up to the tournament in Americas in Portland and then Monaco for training camp. And then of course the Olympics in Barcelona. So I was with them every single day. And I always say that, you know, if it was a different time in my life and career, I would have retired after that assignment because 
it never got better than that, honestly. <laughs> it was such a great experience. And uh, just to be a fly on the wall with these guys and be part of this his- historic, you know, moment and the way it elevated the NBA in the world. You know, Rick Welts, who helped to create that whole experience and be part of elevating everything at the NBA, said that the NBA grew 10 years in that one summer. Um, and it did because it catapulted the NBA throughout the world to be what it became. So, Andy, did you tell your wife that uh, being around that dream team, you know, they had those uh, very well talked about poker nights? Yeah. Where right. Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley, they were betting like fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000. How much did you lose? <laughs> There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. Sports are slowly making its way back with the UFC, NASCAR, and soccer leading the way. Bet Online has all the best onlines for the upcoming matches this weekend. Need more? Bet Online has simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC happening every day live for you to check out. Looking for something else other than sports? Bet Online has hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and all the best props in the business. Visit betonline.ag or use your mobile device and join now to receive your new welcome bonus and start playing today. BetOnline, your online sporting book experts. That dream team, you know they had those uh, very well-talked-about poker nights yeah, right. where Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley, they were betting like fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000. How much did you lose? <laughs> I used to like watching them lose fifty or 60000 No, I never played in those. But I got to tell you, we, I, we did stay in a hotel in, in Monte Carlo, the Lowe's Hotel, which was a you know beautiful, elegant hotel in Monaco, <clears throat> and uh, had a casino, obviously, in it. And I'm sitting down. My dad was with me. I brought my dad, and uh, my dad had taught me how to play blackjack. And we're sitting at a table, and I look over, and, and there's Patrick Ewing on my left. There's Charles on my right. Michael comes, sits down, and my dad's like, are we at the right table? <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was hilarious because Patrick, God bless him, Patrick is playing the minimum, right? <laughs> Charles, has, has, Charles has a stack of chips like this. Right. And Michael's just asking for markers. You know, it's not even playing with money. You know, it's, it's the craziest thing ever. <laughs> who, else, who else was a gambler on that uh, that dream team? Uh, Magic? Well, Matt, well no, Ma- Magic was a big, yeah. No, no, I got to tell you a story about Magic. It, it, he and I, again, we talked about this. So we're in this elegant casino, right? I mean, it's like out of James Bond. The, the dealers are in tuxedos they have the servers the sh- all the waitresses are in evening gowns you have to you have to be in a jacket and tie to be in there it's not like vegas where you hear slot machines and hooping and hollering going yeah. on at craps tables and stuff and they had one crap table and maybe maybe like six blackjack tables and baccarat stuff i don't understand right and we're in there and it's super late at night it must have been about 1 30 2 to 2 o'clock in the morning and we hear behind us, I'm at blackjack with my dad, and we hear behind us the crap table. People are hooting and hollering, right, which you don't hear in this place. And we turn around, and they are like six people deep at this crap table, all elegantly dressed. And there's this little old lady, right, beautifully, you know, attired with jewelry, and she's rolling numbers after at hidden points and coming out with sevens. And people are making money. So somebody must have called Magic. This is, a, this is another true story. Somebody must have called Magic. Dude comes down from his room in his bathrobe, 
right, to this casino, gets a marker, right, bets with the lady, collects whatever he got, goes back, goes back to bed, never touches the dice, you know, never, never, never puts money at the table. It just was the craziest seat ever. <laughs> Andrew, I can attest to that because remember how we used to have the exhibition games in Vegas? Yeah. yeah. One, one night we went down, Magic was like, hey guys, we're going to go down and we're going to, you know, do the dice. Yeah. Me and Magic, Byron, I think was there. Uh, I think James Worthy, a couple of other people and some people from the other team, we were there. Yeah. We won twenty seven. I won twenty seven hundred. It was the most money I've ever won in right. my life in, in, in Vegas. Sure, twenty seven hundred. Magic must have won about ten thousand all on the crap table, and he only touched the dice one time. Yeah, it's that's I mean, how yeah. how magical and lucky this guy is, man. Yeah, that's he, what they call magic. No, he's, <laughs> serious, man. This guy, whatever he touches, turns to gold. And when he left, I left because I said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God bless him, man. I mean, to have that kind of run, that was that was legendary, just legendary. So, Andy, with you shooting, let's go back to the 80s real quick. Uh, yeah. Tell me something. What are some of your best shots? And I don't have any here, but tell me some of your best moments of shooting that Boston Laker rivalry. Oh, man. I, you know, Coop, uh, we all live for that. I mean, to see you guys suited up against the hated Celtics. And I hated the Celtics. I shouldn't – I can't say that in any other – even my own podcast, but I hated them too. <laughs> you know, I was, I, I was, hate them. You ain't saying like, go ahead. Say as much right. as you want no, right but now. I, but I was supposed to be somewhat impartial. You know, I, I was, yes, the Lakers quote unquote team photographer, but I was working for the league. So, you know, you gotta be impartial, Yeah. but man, um, everything was so different. You know, you, you go into Boston garden and it's a dump, you know, and it, they don't have any air conditioning and there's rats in the catwalk. True, another true story. I got chased by a rat in the catwalk there. Um, the locker, the ro- locker. I love this room. shot, Andy. I love this shot. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but the rivalry was just off the chart. I mean, every game, every play, even the regular season games, when you guys only played each other twice, you know, and once in the forum, um, you know, we all circled that in red, you know, when the calendar came out, the schedule came out in August. Um, it was always like the second Sunday in February that you guys played each other, right, at the forum. But um, it was amazing. I mean, I have to give a lot of credit to uh, the NBA for trusting me and putting me in the position as a young photographer to document that whole era, but also to Pat Riley for having a lot of confidence in me to be around the team and to Gary Beatty, um, who ultimately was the gatekeeper, as you know. I mean, you know, Gary's, Gary's locker room, Gary's training room, if he didn't allow me in there, you know, I would have been on the outside looking in. So I'll always be grateful to Gary. And then just, just the storylines, the story, every single, I mean, the guy behind you, Kareem against Parrish, you know, of course, Magic against Bird. But you and your defensive, you know, if, if we, if they didn't I say we, if they didn't have you, you know, they wouldn't have won any, any titles in 85 or 87 because no, because, and everybody knew that, you know, and, and everybody had their role and Pat, you know, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but Pat really, that was his skill that his, he knew what every, each of you brought to the table. Yeah. He got you guys to buy in on the team concept. And um, it wasn't like leave your egos at the door. It was like bring your egos in, but put them together in, in this big bowl because we're going to kick some ass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? Uh, uh, next one is uh, the Lakers 
at that year, what was it, the late 90s, 2000s, mm-hmm. Lakers versus the Sacramento Kings. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a crazy series because you had, all of a sudden, you had Vladi on the other side, right? And uh, Sacramento was insane place to, to play, I'm sure, but for me to work, it was it was a glorified like high school gym. I mean, the place was horrible. It was terrible. Remember that they they built an Arco Arena. You know, yeah. first of all, the the Kings moved from Kansas City to Sacramento. They built this arena, which was like a warehouse, right in the in the middle of the cornfield, middle of nowhere, man. <laughs> right. So then they decide, like I don't know, ten years in, you know what? This place isn't so great. We're going to build another one. They built one that was worse. <laughs> I mean, like the second Arco Arena was worse than the first one. <laughs> It was right next door. Didn't make any sense. But um, I remember Phil Jackson, there was no coach's like office, and he would have to go like underneath the stands, like through this little trap door. So uh-huh. he had a couple of minutes to himself. There was no training room. Um, what, a, what a dump that was. But the rivalry was great, right? It really was. And, uh, you know, I think Shaq calling them the Queens, right? Love that. I love that. <laughs> yeah, those those that was a great era. I mean, Chris Weber. I mean, who else was on that team, man? Um they had Bobby Doug Hurley Christie. in those days, Doug Christie. Doug Christie. Yeah, yeah. That was a good one. That was a good run. So yeah. now let's move to two thousand when the Lakers yeah. and the Celtics come back all the way around with Paul yeah. Pierce and Garnett and players like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I felt like, you know, I was reliving history in a way because the, the rivalry never, never died. I mean, you know, um, the last time the teams played each other was 87, but the rivalry was always there, of course. And, uh, you know, Kobe, Kobe was, um, had a lot on his shoulders. I mean, yeah, this picture, 2008, um, <clears throat> this is 2009 finals. And he, he knew that, he was carrying the team, you know, Shaq had left a lot had been written about him. Um, even his own coach wrote about him about being uncoachable and there was a lot riding on it. He was not particularly healthy that season, as you remember. And, uh, but he took the team on his back and was committed in that in 2008, this is 2008, um, you know, to beat the Celtics. They didn't beat the Celtics. Um, it was it was tragic. It reminded me a little bit Coop of '84, where uh-huh. they could have they could have beaten them, but they didn't. They just didn't have enough. And the and the Celtics had the big three, and they seemed to be sort of destined to win that final. But yeah. I remember after that, Kobe talked about how he he just couldn't retire until he beat the Celtics in the finals. I mean, the guy would probably play another ten years, you know, into his fifties. Um, and then they got the shot in 2010, and uh, and he he was true to his word, you know. They he went out and they got it done, and that was uh, you know his fifth title. Of all the players you had relationships <clears throat> with over the years, is, is Kobe the guy you were closest with? And and I hope you're, you'll share the story when you met Kobe. Yeah, I think so. I think um, probably because I was around him the most, um, but also because there was a, there was a lot of synergy between us. I mean, I met him as a young kid. Um, he would just turn 18 years old. You know, he got drafted when he was 17. He comes on my set um, <clears throat> as a rookie. And like any other rookie on media day, I go introduce myself. And I, you guys probably heard this story, but 
I like ta- I like telling it. Um, and I, I go in the set, and before I start shooting, I, I put my hand out. I say, hey, Kobe, I'm Andy Bernstein. I'm your Lakers team photographer. And he looks me straight in the eye, and he goes, while he's still shaking my hand, he goes, he says, uh, yeah, I know who you are. <laughs> and I'm thinking I'm talking to one of my kids who's kind of a smart ass, you know, like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. I said, no, I don't think so, because we never met. And he goes, yeah, but I had all your posters in my room growing up. Wow. Wow. And and right there, and he had me in that second because I'm thinking, who on earth looks at the photo credit on a poster? Right. I mean, only other photographers look at. You can't even read a photo credit unless you have like you know magnifying glass or something. And uh, you know, this is a guy who broke down every pixel, every inch of a poster and studied it. You know, of all the greats, you know, Jordan and Magic and and Dominique and Isaiah and all the guys that he you know that he wanted to be like. So we, and I saw a lot in him, I'm 20 years older, you know, but I saw a lot in him at that age at 18 and 19 and 20 that, that reminded me of myself at that age, you know, incredibly driven, um, somewhat arrogant, (laughs) um, won't take no for an answer, pushing the envelope. And, um, you know, Kobe had a great saying, uh, and it's very publicly said that he said that if you're not obsessed with what you do, we don't speak the same language, you know, and we talked about this much later when we did our book that, uh, that we were speaking the same language from the beginning, um, you know, two completely different upbringings and the whole thing, but, but we were just as obsessed with what we did. And uh, that's kind of what brought us together. Love that story, Andy. Uh, we're at the point now of the show where I have what I call Coop's Lightning Rounds. We're going to see if we can put you in, get you cooped up. Oh, boy. I'm going to give you some names. Yeah. And uh, just give me a, uh, one word or a little, little bit about the names I'm going to throw at you, okay? Yeah, for sure. This first one is Bird Magic. I, well, the first word is rivalry. Um, but uh... – it's also, I mean, I'll use a few words, but it's a definition of an era. I mean, David Stern himself told me that that picture you showed um, helped define that era of the NBA, you know, and for your boss, like your ultimate boss to tell you that um, was the ultimate comp- compliment, really. So that, that would be my two-part two, uh, answer to that one. Wow, you stole my next person. I was going to say David Stern. Oh, mentor. Um, you know, David was tough to work for sometimes because he was, he demanded greatness. He demanded uh, relentless um, just being at, at the top level of what you did. And I took that very personally, you know, in a good way. It, put, it motivated me, pushed me. I love being part of what the NBA was creating in the 80s and 90s. And um, he was always recognized when effort, you know, he, he would always reach out. And sometimes you get a, a a personal note in the mail, you know, um, after the finals, you know, now it would be an email, but he would literally send notes in the mail. And, uh, you know, it was always on pins and needles when I had to be assigned to be with David, um, Mm -hmm. only because you didn't want to screw up, (laughs) but, you know, back in the early days, guys, we used to literally call him uncle David. I mean, it was a small little family, the NBA, you know, back then, back in the early mid eighties, when he became commissioner and um, it grew like crazy. Um, but I stopped calling him uncle David and started calling him Mr. Commissioner, <laughs> but I never lost that feeling that, and a very familiar, um, very friendly um, 
you know, almost a family atmosphere. It continued throughout, you know, his whole career there. You know, I knew Mr. Stern uh, not as well as you did, but he kind of reminds me of like Pat Riley, attention mm-hmm. to detail. Uh, he wanted that, that kind of focusness on player people around him. Yeah, and he was not shy about calling people out, you know, when they weren't living up to what his standards would be. Um, there's, very, there's a lot of famous stories about that. And as a boss, um, you know, he's running a giant corporation by the time it grew to be what it was worldwide. And he had put people in place that he, and he was a great um, um, evaluator of talent. Uh, you know, look at the people around him, Rick Welts, you know, Russ Granick, Gary Bettman, you know, Brian McIntyre, Terry Lyons, and all these people that, you know, Don Sperling, who created NBA Entertainment. And then, you know, our, our core group of videographers and photographers. And, it, you know, there's a reason why a lot of us are still there. And it really was because of what David and his vision was and what he created. Okay. Andy, I've done my homework on you. Uh-oh. Ryan Pierce. Wait, say it again. Ryan Pierce. An Ryan. photographer. Oh, man. I don't know Ryan Pierce. Ooh. I, I do not know Ryan Pierce. I know a lot of photographers. Really? Okay. All right. That's, you, you cooped up now. The Uh-oh. next one, Bob Martin. Bob Martin is 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 a fantastic photographer, uh, mostly for Getty and Sports Illustrated, right? I don't know Bob personally, yeah. but, but his work speaks for itself and a, a long, long history of, of being the top of, of his profession. Okay. I don't know him personally either, so I Googled him, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me, and last but not least and and as i say bird magic you can't say these two young men without almost putting them together jordan and kobe um <clears throat> i would say that the word is relentless for both of them really i mean we just saw in the last dance how insanely relentless michael jordan was right um, almost to a fault in some some cases, but um, the, you know he he never stopped wanting to be great and achieving um, every single year being better than he was. You know, case in point when when they the Bulls were getting beat up by Detroit every year, right? And then he just decided, you know what, I got to get bigger and stronger. So he brings Tim Grover in. He his body completely changes, you know, that summer, sure did, man. and comes back, up. you know, ripped and ready to go. And look what happened. They made it to the finals that year. Um, Kobe the same way. I mean, they both have like a shared sort of DNA of of this sort of intangible Mamba thing, you know. Um, and and what was so poignant was when Michael spoke at Kobe's memorial, and you could you could just see the connection between the two of them. Wasn't that um, powerful? Oh, yeah. That whole experience, I got to tell you. I mean, I had to photograph that, and I had offered to photograph it. I, I was I actually was it was offered to me to just be part of the audience. Uh-huh. I felt like I had in that situation, I had to photograph it, and that would keep my sort of emotions at bay. You know, if I'm behind the camera, just concentrating on work. But when he got up to spoke to speak, and all of them actually, but especially when Vanessa got up to speak, yeah, uh, I don't think any of us, none of us, knew twenty thousand people in the arena and millions watching. No one knew she was going to speak. I've I've known her over the years. I've never heard her speak publicly, you know, like in a long period like that. 
and the strength that that took, man. Wow. And, yeah. and, she, got, and she admitted very openly that she got that strength from him. She learned uh -huh. that from him and how, you know, his relentlessness, um, you know, permeated all over from off the court to their family. Um, you know, nothing will ever come close to the, the shock and grief of, of that in January. Yeah. Um, and we still all carry it with us, but we're very fortunate really to have lived in his world for at least that brief time. Uh, one last thing for me, uh, this picture here, Andy, ah, yeah. that picture there, talk about <clears throat> that one. Well, a lot of people, Coop asked me like if, you know, you had one picture to be remembered for, mm -hmm. which would it be? And my answer is always, well, I have four kids, so I can't really choose one of them. I mean, sometimes I want right. to choose one over the other, quite frankly. But uh, <laughs> but um, in terms of photos, um, that would be the one. I mean, that was such an incredible moment. And I'm sorry it came at the expense of, of you guys, you know, and the Lakers. Uh, but that was Jordan winning his first title first in 91. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it took him seven years to get to that mountaintop. And uh, he's got his dad next to him. And we all know the story of his dad tragically, you know, passing away, getting murdered. Yeah. Um, and Michael, well, it's interesting because there's a lot of backstories here. Um, Michael's dad, James, and my dad got to know each other during the whole Dream Team experience. Wow. Michael had this thing with his dad. I had this thing with mine. You know, it was just like an unsaid kind of backstory. But um, this was such a crazy moment, and I'll tell you about it because, you know, Coop will remember this, you know, like it was yesterday. But the forum, the visitor's locker room in the forum was literally like a glorified closet. I mean, it was tiny. Terrible, terrible. Tiny. I mean, yeah. you, you're trying to fit like 12 full-grown men in that room is like impossible, right? So back in the day, before the NBA and the network did the trophy presentation on court, they would do it in the locker room right in the visitor's locker room in the home locker room and champagne's flying all over the place hoopla's going on you got people coming in the place is jammed you can't move and they're doing a live trophy presentation right so i'm the first guy in you know getting the champagne flying and everything and the only vantage point i could get is to jump up on a bridge table you know the table in the middle of the of the locker room where the gum and the tickets and all that stuff yeah is, right <laughs> And I jump up on there so at least I could see stuff. And they do the trophy presentation with the whole team. The network goes to commercial. They're going to come right back and they're going to want, they want to interview Michael one-on-one -on -one and nobody can find Michael. <laughs> and like, I'm seeing people like frantic and something in my head, I don't know what it was, just said, look to your left. And I look over here and right, like maybe two feet from me is Michael in this locker hugging that trophy with his dad. Like he took the trophy from the presentation to the locker just to get some moment, you know, and it's pure emotion, absolute yeah. pure emotion. And uh, it's a beautiful father son moment. Um, it is. I would, I always said that, and you know, I would have to ask Michael this one, one day that if he could have played that whole season for free, just for that moment, he probably would have done it. <laughs> it wasn't about the money. It was because it was for that. Just to yeah. hold that Larry O'Brien trophy. I'm curious, just overall, in, in terms of photography, Andy, like the technology has changed so dramatically over the years. Um, but with smartphones, I mean, do you think there's an element of 
I don't want to say photography has become more disposable, but there's these iconic photos like families have that mm-hmm. have survived generations. That's like the one photo they have of grandparents. Hmm. I, I have two kids under five. I have thousands of photos of them on my phone on a daily basis. <laughs> have we reduced the importance of photography in that sense? Because it used to be a finite amount of film you had. Now you don't. It's infinite. No, I would say the opposite, Ari. I would say that we've elevated photography because now everybody's got a camera in their pocket. You know, right. I mean, everybody's got a camera in their pocket. Um, but has it made it more dis- – I don't know. Disposable is maybe not the right word, but in a sense where like it's hard to sort of look back on those photos because there's so many of them. Well, uh, yes and no. I mean um, I, I still say that we professional photographers – like there's a lot of guys playing hoops you know, in schoolyards and in backyards, but there's only a handful of guys like Michael Cooper who could play it at that level, right? Totally. So – in my world, it's kind of the same thing. There's, you know, there's us professionals who do what we do and record history and are um, part of, of that. But it's wonderful that photography has been elevated to this commonplace, everyday thing and that it's not so unusual for like a three-year-old to take an amazing picture. <laughs> you know, I think it's wonderful. My 12-year-old is now taking a photography class because she is – wants to learn it she and i can't really teach it at that level because i don't really understand how all this digital stuff works i just do it you know but uh just like the short shorts got longer you know uh that that change i mean we went from film to digital you know things change but but the craft really stays the same yeah you know i still approach my work and my my photography, I still approach covering a game the same way if I had a game tonight, I would approach it the same way I would back when Coop played. It's the same thing. Same thing. If he came to, if you started playing again, Coop, you, if you were in like a pickup game tonight, you would have that same mentality. Exactly. You would prepare yourself. You would study your opponent, whatever you got to do. Right. And your moves would be the same. might be a teeny bit slower, you know, but you know what I mean? But you would still approach it the same way. And totally. you're still the same person. You still have that drive and, 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 and competitiveness. And I'm in a very competitive business, and that kind of fuels it as well. You know, I love coming, coming back with, you know, a picture maybe somebody else just didn't get that night. That kind of fuels it a little bit for the next time. And you know what? You are in a competitive field, but you are truly one of the best. And I'm going to show you one last picture. Oh, and the only reason I'm going to show you this picture is because I love this shot so much, okay? But, uh, man, this here just symbolizes, one, defense, but how you are able to get that picture. Oh. I love this picture, man. Yeah, I, I love this too. picture. I of, yeah. I mean, look at the determination on Michael Jordan's eyes and, and him ready to play. And you know what? Uh. This truly shows a guy that is at the top of his field, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, what a thrill it must have been for you to play against Michael. I mean, you played, look at all the players you played against and that you actually guarded yourself, you know, I mean, him and Larry and, and then going up against Carl Malone and all these, you know, Barkley and all these guys, David Robinson. But that particular picture, I, I, I love that picture because it's very rare to get wow uh, a, a defensive shot like that where, a guy is just that locked in. I mean, he looks like this is like laser beams coming out of his eyes, but magic, you know, look at magic. I mean, he is just totally like 
unengaged with with what's going on with Michael. Serious? Like, yeah, he's like, dude, you look whatever you got to do, man. But I'm passing this over your head behind you. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I loved about Magic because nothing ever daunted him. I mean, you played side by side with him for so long. Did you ever see him rattled? Did you ever see him nervous, scared, fear? Nothing. Even after 84, about that, the tragic ending of the 84 finals, he just, it just motivated him. Yeah, he moped around and he talks about that, you know, a little bit for the summer, but just fueled him to be better and, and get it back the next season, which they did. Well, you know what? One of the things I love about this picture, that's greatness going against, against greatness. And you yeah. have one of the best offensive players. And Jordan, as as offensive as as great as he was offensively, he yeah. was one of the best defensive players in the league too. And uh, I really enjoyed that picture. Uh, Andy, uh, to wrap this thing up, man. Anything? Mm-hmm. Uh, what you got going on? Well, um, as you can see, I'm sort of plugging um, my my platform, Legends of Sport. Um, we're in our third season of our podcast, and I look forward to talking to you, Coop, down the road. Um, Legends of Sport is a, is a digital platform that um, we have a new podcast um, partnership and production partnership with the Los Angeles Times. So starting uh, next week, we will be on their, their podcast platform as well awesome. as everybody else's, you know, Apple and Spotify and whatever. So we're getting, uh, kicking this off with a 16-week block of shows that are all about the NBA restart. So I'll be doing the first seven or eight shows from L.A., um, then I take the show on the road when I actually have to go to the bubble in Orlando. And we'll be talking about what's going on in the bubble, the, um, the uniqueness of this season. Um, it's going to be uncharted waters for everybody. But then we're going to be talking about legendary matchups and rivalries and finals and coaches and all that. So it stays true to our, our legends of sport um, mantra. And, uh, you know, we're very active on Instagram at Legends of Sport, our YouTube channel, Legends of Sport. So, you know, I'm not quitting my day job per se, you know, being the NBA photographer, but um, I have loved doing this Legends of Sport work because it really is is keeping the conversation alive and, and going um, about eras and athletes like you, Coop, who people love and they still want to talk to and talk about and hear from you. So that's that's why we exist, and we're going to keep it going. Fantastic, Andy. You know what? If I haven't told you this, I love you, man. I love I you, too. You. I love you. I love you, man. You've always All right. been my you best. Got, this is the guy. Shows up on my 60th birthday, right? We have, we have a disco party at the Conga Room, and Coop was the star of the show, man. I mean, I'll never forget, Coop, how, how wonderful you were um, helping me usher in this crazy 60 decade I, I can't even believe that i'm that old you met me when i was probably 20 i was probably 26 or 25 right both of us had hair oh Don't my God. God. <laughs> yeah well, hair is overrated you know <laughs> andy listen thank you thank you thank you man stay safe and if you need me i i, I would love to come on the legend show for you just give me a call man absolutely appreciate it you've been listening to showtime with coop and one of my favorite peoples in the world andy bernstein